Hello, friends. This is the Neatarts Friends Church podcast. We are Jesus people, kingdom of God people, welcoming, yearning, sharing. And we're glad you're connecting here with us. We'd love to connect in person as well. If you're inclined to support this podcast or for more information, just hop on over to neatartsfriends.org. That's neatartsfriends.org. Let's jump into today's sermon. One day Jesus went out of the house he was staying at and sat down by the lake. So many people came and wanted to hear what Jesus had to say that Jesus got into a boat and told stories from the boat. The people crowded around the shoreline listening. It was a day of storytelling, parables. The message of Jesus was the kingdom of God is near. The the kingdom of the heavens is near. It's not out there. It's right here. It's close by. Jesus told stories drawn from the common experiences of common people, poor people, farm workers, day laborers, slaves, women, fishermen, merchants. They were stories that children could imagine, stories that made people dream, made them rethink, stories that helped them look for God, stories that helped them to possibly see God in everyday life. Stories that were complex, thought-provoking, open-ended. Stories that couldn't be boiled down to one point, one meaning, but they contained layers and layers of meaning. Stories that could be retooled to fit new situations. Stories with multiple possibilities, significance, and interpretations. Jesus told story after story, inviting people to imagine and grasp the kingdom of God. The kingdom of God, the kingdom of the heavens is like this, or imagine it this way. He told the story of the farmer sowing seeds in his field, the story of the weeds in the wheat field, the story of the birds and the mustard seed, the story of the yeast and the dough, the story of the treasure buried in the field, the story of the fisherman and the fish, the story of the scribe who became a disciple. Matthew records seven different stories, seven different parables that Jesus told that day. Now, it only takes a few minutes to read those seven stories the way that they're written down in the Gospel of Matthew, but crowds don't gather to hear stories that can be told in one or two sentences. And that's not the way master storytellers roll. So Matthew, in the Gospel of Matthew, is giving us the condensed version of the stories. It's kind of like if I told you the story of Molly and Cooper and I sledding last week. When I tell you the story, I'm going to give you all the details Like, I'm going to tell you about how we took off driving in the snow and the ice to see if we could go sledding off of Fraser River Road. 
and I'm going to tell you about how the snow was so deep that it took quite a few quite a few tries just to pack it down enough to get a good sledding path going and how once we had a good route going I went back down to the truck and I pumped up our big inner tube because I, I realized that would really go better on this hill and I tell you about how when I finally convinced Molly and Cooper to jump on top of me on that inner tube so that we could go down together, I farted right when they jumped on me and then we all died laughing all the way to the bottom of the hill before crashing into the ditch. I would tell you about how the sled wanted to crash into the ditch on every run and on every run Cooper was trying to jump off of the sled before we hit the ditch and it became this really funny thing that we did because every time he tried to jump off I would hold on to him like if I'm gonna hit the ditch you're gonna hit the ditch too and we just died laughing we had loads of fun so that's my story about sledding now if you go home and someone says uh, hey you spent some time with Aaron what did he tell you about you might condense my sledding story and say, oh, uh, Aaron, Molly, and Cooper went sledding. They wrecked the sled into the side of the road, into the ditch. It, it was funny. So it was a day of storytelling for Jesus. And as the day unfolded, Jesus spent part of the day telling stories to the crowd and then he went back inside the house with his disciples and he did more storytelling with them. And the disciples kept coming to Jesus throughout the day, asking Jesus to explain the stories. They said, Jesus, why do you speak to the people in parables? They weren't understanding exactly what Jesus was doing, what's happening, why. And Jesus went ahead and gave them a lengthy explanation of why he was telling stories. He went ahead and gave the disciples an explanation of one of those stories. And like, here's a way that you can understand this story. And then later in the house, the disciples said to Jesus again, um, can you explain to us the parable of the weeds in the field? They were still struggling to understand all the layers and the nuance and the possibilities of Jesus' stories. And once again, Jesus gave them an explanation of the story. And finally, at the end of the day, when Jesus was all done telling stories, he turned to his disciples and he asked them, Have you understood all these things? And that question just makes me laugh so much. I can just imagine a twinkle in Jesus' eye as he asked his disciples that classic question at the end of a day of storytelling. Have you understood all these things? It's a hilarious question. To understand, the word that Jesus uses there means to join things together in the mind, to bring together, to grasp in a way that challenges one's thinking or practice. It was obvious that Jesus' disciples were struggling to understand. They were struggling to join together everything in their minds. And I can just imagine the kind of blank 
looks or dull stares or deer in the headlight expressions. <laughs> Jesus asked them this. They, they certainly were not the masters of every story that Jesus had told, every layer of meaning, every possibility, every nuance. Have you understood all of this? Like throughout the day, they'd been asking Jesus what he was getting at. And they'd been asking why he was even telling stories at all. And the disciples' track record in general is not one of understanding. Over and over, the Gospels say that the disciples did not understand. But when Jesus asks you, have you understood all these things? It can certainly feel like there's only one right answer. Sure, they could have said, I'm sorry, Jesus. I'm not putting all the pieces together perfectly yet. It's going over my head. Or I'm still chewing on the story about the fish, trying to connect the dots there. Or I still have questions about the bird story and how it connects with what's going on here in Galilee. Or I kind of zoned out while you told that bread making story. I started thinking about lunch. Could you go back and catch me up on that one? They could have said that, but they didn't say any of that. Instead, the disciples gave Jesus the only answer that felt acceptable in their minds. I can just see them maybe avoiding eye contact, dropping their head slightly, mumbling, or maybe trying to be real convincing. So it might be like, yes, we understand. Or, oh, oh yes, absolutely, we understand. And I can just imagine Jesus' eyes twinkling at the humor of it all. Jesus could have scolded them for such a silly answer, but he didn't. Instead, he told them one more story. And here it is. For this reason, every the reason being, you guys just told me you understand everything. For this reason, every scribe who becomes a disciple for the kingdom of God, the kingdom of heaven, is like the owner of a house who brings out of his storeroom new treasures as well as old. Now, just a side note, your Bible might use the word teachers of the law instead of scribe. It's, it's the same thing. Jesus is saying something really important here. Like this final story of the day is a key story. But the first time I read it, I didn't get it. It was my turn to admit, um, Jesus, I don't understand the story you just told. And perhaps you're in the same boat. Perhaps you read that story and you're like, what? Because, see, when we go to the grocery store, or at least me, when I go to the grocery store, I don't cross paths with any scribes. I cross paths with teachers and loggers and farmers and carpenters and doctors and techies, on and on, but not any scribes. So when Jesus tells a story about a scribe becoming a disciple, I might as well be hearing a story about a feudal lord becoming an astronaut. So let's get some background on what it meant to be a scribe in Jesus' day and what it meant to be a disciple in Jesus' day. 
So disciples and scribes were on opposite ends of the learning journey, the, the progression of knowledge. The disciples were the white belts and the scribes were the black belts. They were the senseis. Disciples were like high school students who were interested in learning from a master and the scribes were the PhDs. They were the masters. They were the teachers. Disciples might become scribes after years and years of training, but scribes did not become disciples because that would be backwards. That was not the direction or the progression that knowledge traveled. That wasn't the way it worked. The scribes were the know-it-alls of the ancient Jewish world. If there was anyone in the first century who claimed to understand everything, it was the scribes. They were men and only men, the intellectual leaders of Jewish society, highly influential in society, in politics. They demanded the highest respect from their disciples, so they wanted their disciples to call them rabbi or master or teacher. They were responsible for writing, copying, preserving all written documents, ranging from common transactions, records, national archives, sacred texts. They were the scholars of the Bible and Jewish culture. They were the experts, the know-it-alls, the interpreters of scripture. They had mastered the letter of the law. They were sure that they found the one right way to interpret scripture. All forms of higher education, if not all education, some sources say, was in the hands of the scribes. Their primary role was to look back uh, into history. They were quoting Moses. They were quoting older previous authorities. And at any point where the Old Testament law lacked details, or was inconsistent, they built a fence around the law. Like they explicitly said, that's what we're doing. It was called the tradition of the elders, the oral tradition, this complicated system of teaching and rules. So the scribes were those who said, we, we don't need to learn anything else. Jesus had a very contentious relationship with the scribes. They played a key role in his death, his crucifixion. And some of Jesus' most scathing words in the entire New Testament were reserved for the scribes. Like, woe to you, you hypocrites. You shut people out of the kingdom of heaven. You win converts and make them into children of hell. You promote oaths that bring you corrupt financial gain. You neglect justice, mercy, faithfulness. You're full of greed and self-indulgence. You appear righteous, but you're full of wickedness and lies. You want to live in the good old days and imagine that you would have been the heroes, but actually you are the oppressors of today. To Jesus, the rigidity, the certitude of the scribes, it wasn't simply about being certain. They we're trying to live in a two-dimensional world, this or that, black and white. And it was about 
control. Like once you're claiming that you have the right interpretation, you have the control. Now contrast these know-it-alls who were claiming to understand everything with disciples. Disciples in Jesus' day were learners. That's what the word meant. Uh, they were pupils. They were students. A disciple might be learning philosophy, a technical skill of many different kinds. They might be a part of a revolutionary movement. They might be a part of a religious movement. It didn't matter if you were a disciple, you were an apprentice, a learner. To be a disciple meant you did not claim to understand everything. So, can you see the contrast? The scribe says, I know everything, I understand everything, I have the one right interpretation, I don't need to learn anymore, I'm just going to teach people my interpretation. A scribe would be rigid, they would be certain. A disciple would say, I don't know, I'm still in process, I guess I haven't learned that yet, I still have questions, I don't understand, I'm still chewing on this, I still have a lot to learn. Disciples are open. They're curious. So can you begin to see the absurdity of this story that Jesus told about a scribe becoming a disciple for the kingdom of God? <laughs> like, uh, Jesus, that's not the direction for the flow of knowledge, for the learning journey. Like, Scribes don't become disciples, Jesus. It's supposed to be the other way around. People are supposed to move from being not certain, not understanding mystery questions. Jesus, I think they're supposed to move towards certitude and understanding everything and having the one right answer, the one right interpretation, and not needing to learn anything more. That was certainly the way that the progression of knowledge worked in Jesus' day. It was the social structure around knowledge, but Jesus reversed that order in the kingdom of God. Jesus intends for us to go from being scribes to becoming learners. For Jesus, it's been said the enemy of learning is thinking you already know everything. So we go from information to transformation. We go from black belt to white belt. We go from, I'm certain I have the answers, to I'm learning to understand the questions. We go from thinking we have everything nailed down, boxed up neat and tidy and figured out, I understand everything. Remember, that's what Jesus asked his disciples. We go from that to realizing, oh, we are still learners. There are still a million questions, and that's okay. Maybe we don't have to have that one right interpretation for everything pinned down quite yet. So, a discussion question that we chatted about on Sunday, or if you're listening alone, maybe you would just reflect on this. What differences do you see between a goal to keep learning and a goal to understand everything.
How are those two goals similar? And how are they different? So take a moment, reflect on that, chat about that. Jesus says that in the journey from acting like a know-it-all to becoming a learner, we realize that there is a storehouse of treasures, both old and new, waiting to be discovered. And Jesus compares this process of learning, discipleship, to a homeowner pulling out treasures. Some of them are new. Some of them are completely fresh. They're novel. They're unprecedented. They're unheard of. They're strange. They're remarkable. That is what this word means. It's what it meant in its ancient context. And some of those things are old, which means ancient, worn out, the wisdom of the ages, the unoriginal, the consensus of the centuries, like a a well-aged wine. Now, in a million different ways, the world we live in pits the old against the new and the new against the old. But rather than pitting these two approaches against one another, Jesus brings them together. The old and the new don't have to be contrary concepts. Discipleship for the kingdom of God discovers treasures both old and new. And the value is in their combination. The old needs the new, and the new needs the old. Jesus doesn't make a complete break with the past, but he fills it up with fresh meaning. He fills the framework with new content. He fills the droopy sails with fresh wind. He says both, look, I'm not abolishing the law and the prophets. I'm fulfilling them. And he says, Well, you've heard that it was said, here's these ancient words, but I say to you, it's the old and the new. Disciples for the kingdom of God bring out of their lives treasures that are new, that are fresh, that are strange, unheard of, different. In their learning journey, they find a world that is not two-dimensional, but three-dimensional. Everything has another angle. Everything has another nuance, another dimension, another layer to explore. And disciples are open and curious and they learn new things and find a need to engage the world as they find it in new ways with God's love. And the value of the new treasures that they bring out of their storehouse is not to be underestimated or separated from or swept aside by those who would tend towards the old. And disciples for the kingdom of God bring out of their lives treasures that are old. They bring the wisdom of the ages. Uh, In the fathers and mothers of the church down through the centuries, we find not only a wide diversity of thought, but also a consensus of thought. 
what has been declared by Christians of every flavor from every century across the globe, core convictions expressed in the, some of the earliest creeds and confessions, like Apostles' Creed, the Nicene Creed. We find ancient spiritual practices and hymns, praises, writings from centuries past that can still give fresh hope and inspiration and insight to us today. And these ancient treasures are not to be tossed aside and forgotten, but to be cherished. The struggle with the old and the new is that we find ourselves living in a world that is not practiced in holding together and embracing both the old and the new. Some people fear change. They fear the new. They're like, if it's new, it ain't true. Uh, they say, we're sticking with the old ways. This is the way we've always done it. It's the way we will always do it. So they're not interested in any new information, new data. They don't want to learn anything new. They want to live in the past. They want to go back in time. They want to resurrect the good old days. Anything new is suspect. To them, it's just disrupting the status quo. Uh, so folks like this would just say, like, give me that old-time religion. It's good enough for me. But there are other people who, they are obsessed with novelty. They are always chasing the next new idea and the latest fad and always saying, we need to catch up with the times, like out with the old, in with the new. They don't want anything old. They want to untether from every form of ancient wisdom, even if it means floating into outer space. They say, you know what? History was written by the victors and oppressors, and actually you can't call it the good old days unless you happen to be in the majority and on the privileged end of history. Otherwise, you're just overlooking those who were excluded and marginalized and oppressed and it's like you want to perpetuate that. So to them, they, they look at organized religion and they're like, you know what? That's one big antiquated system and it's old fashioned and outdated and we just need to overhaul the entire system. So they say, who cares about the past? We have to consider our planet's future and how we're even going to survive. And so, yeah, our world is not practiced in holding together and embracing both the old and the new. Our world wants us to pick a team. Like, are you on team old or are you on team new? So what can we do to keep learning? What can we do if we say, I want to be a disciple for the kingdom of God in the 21st century? How do we be people who bring out of our own storehouse treasures that are both new and old? Well, I offer a few suggestions here. Resist the temptation to act like you know everything about everything, first of all. Embrace phrases like, I don't know. Even on hot-button topics, topics where actually you, you haven't spent 
all the time that you could learning. Learn how to say, you know what, I guess I haven't learned that yet. Embrace curiosity. Resist a critical spirit towards the new or the old. Through the Holy Spirit, they probably both have something to teach you if you're open. Engage deeply and regularly with scripture and prayer. Uh, some ideas there. Lately, I've been listening to the Psalms on audio, uh, just an app on my phone while I run or while I drive. Uh, so taking in kind of large chunks of scripture is a different experience than chewing on a small chunk. Or maybe read a short portion of scripture and draw a doodle based on it. Or maybe try memorizing a short portion of scripture and meditate on its meaning. Maybe become familiar with or memorize the Apostles' Creed. Another idea, find someone who you disagree about disagree with them about something and ask them to recommend a book or a podcast or a documentary. Spend some time with a youth or a young adult and ask them, hey, what do adults not care about but we should care about? Spend some time with someone old who carries the wisdom of the ages and ask them, what's important to you now? And what's not so important to you anymore? Spend some time listening to old hymns or reading the works of someone influential from church history, like not this century. What were they focused on? What perspectives do they bring? Jesus says, for this reason, Every scribe who becomes a disciple for the kingdom of heaven is like the owner of a house who brings out of his storeroom new treasures as well as old. So a final discussion question or reflection question, depending on if you've got someone you're listening along with. What about Jesus' parable do you find the most freeing and life-giving? And what about Jesus' parable leaves you still scratching your head? So take some time and reflect on that, chat on that.
Thank you for joining us for a Sunday sermon from Neatart's Friends Church. We hope you'll join us soon for one of our in-person worship gatherings. For more information, hop on over to neatartsfriends.org. God's peace be with you, friends.